where I live in Miami is I, I live uh, probably 15, not even, maybe 10 miles from the western border of Miami-Dade County, uh, you know, heading toward the western part of Florida. And this particular area is, uh, was settled by uh, a lot of Cubans. So when we go to the supermarket where in my neighborhood, we more than likely we speak Spanish. Um, when we go to get our car washed, we speak Spanish. When we uh, go to the doctor's office and, the, and the, the receptionist greets us, she'll greet us in Spanish. She speaks English and Spanish, but it's just the, it's the dominant language here in, in my neighborhood. Now, when you get toward, the, toward Miami Beach, it's a tourist area, so people there will, you know, th the default there will be English, but the... the specific reason that my family and I moved to this part of Florida is because we wanted a, a culturally diverse experience for our kids. My kids go to a bilingual school. Um, they speak English half the day. They speak Spanish half the day. They speak Spanish with um, their grandmother on my wife's side. They speak English with my parents. And they have tested out. My son is in seventh grade. He's tested out of high school Spanish. My daughter is two years behind him. She's tested out of high school Spanish. So they're taking other languages now in school. My, my point about that is we were kind of forward thinking and we, we understand the global nature of the workforce today. And I think 20 years ago when I visited Costa Rica, it was like a novelty to offshore your call center. Now, I think nobody, nobody would even think twice. And in fact, you may have people in Texas who have a heavier, uh, you know, who have a heavier accent than people in Costa Rica. So I don't think it makes any difference today. I don't think people would be put off in any way as long as they can get the level of service that they're accustomed to. Richard, but before we get into the details of all the types of services you provide and how you do that, tell us your story. How did you come to, you know, you've been in Costa Rica for 20 plus years. How did you come to be in Costa Rica in the first place? Well, my story began in Northeast Philadelphia when I graduated Abington High School. You were very fortunate, uh, Dave, because in my family, my grandparents were speaking Romanian, Russian, Polish, and German. And so I'm the first person in my family that decided that Spanish should be my major. All of my friends were going to Ivy League and they were studying law and medicine and architecture, engineering, or going into their family's business. I chose to double down on languages and go to the University of Arizona. I chose a communication major, which made it a lot of fun for those five years. But I also realized that I could pick up public speaking skills, rhetoric skills, and nonverbal communication, micro-expression reading skills. I was able to get an internship at Telemundo. Jake Cohn was kind enough to give me in 1995 and 96, my senior and super senior year. I worked for promotions and public relations at Telemundo in Tucson. There I was able to meet, and this is dating myself, gentlemen by the name of Pedro Sesek and Miguel Quitana. One was in charge of the news out of Los Angeles and the other had the main talk show in Miami across from Christina from Univision. And so imagine a 22-year-old boy that is doing public speaking events with these players, these professional men that have made it and have taken the time to mold my confidence and to give me the self-assurance 
to stand in front of 5,000 people at a Tucson Toros baseball game and do a Javelina Cantina chili eating contest. And so given these opportunities at a young man, it molded my confidence that I could do it. And I knew that I could do it in two languages. And so post-grad, I landed a job that was for the importers of Corona beer. So I worked that in the Southwest of the United States. And that was incredible. And when I was 27, I had the opportunity to move to Costa Rica for a couple months to do some training at a friend of mine from college, his call center. And as you know, when you fly here and you're here, you fall in love with Costa Rica. So everything of mine got put in storage. If you can get past your parents' guilt, Dave, you can live anywhere in the world. And I decided to take a chance. I worked at my friend's call center for four years. And this was back in the day when we were making calls with Cisco phones and printouts of Excel sheets with highlighter pens. And it was a young environment. It was a fun environment, a, a bilingual environment of, of artists of speech. And I got to see the highs and the lows and the gripes and the successes of it. But between me and you, I also saw areas of improvement and the areas of improvement that I saw the most was how people are treated. Not saying my friend didn't do a good job, an amazing job, but a lot of people felt like numbers or they felt like robots. And my other friends and supervisors from other call centers tell me that sometimes agents are not properly onboarded or they're not prepared or the scripts are shoddy with spelling and grammar mistakes and maybe some over-aggressive language that you would see in a Glengarry Boiler Room Wolf of Wall Street movie that might be completely out of character for somebody here because we're, we're in a very strict Catholic country, Dave, and these young men and women have to go home and tell their parents what they do for a living. So we are extremely selective of the campaigns that come in. Not, not only can I fulfill your needs, but I gotta make sure I don't have an attrition rate. And I gotta make sure that the, that the agents that come in that we invest in, that are able to stay here and build upon that. So we just don't waste that. And so my thoughts about how I got here, you don't say you're gonna be a call center CEO for a major in college, or when you're seven years old, you tell that to your mother. But I definitely knew this. I was the only one out of my group of friends that could speak Spanish well. And not only that, but every job I had, I was the one that could go out to the Southwest Phoenix when I was selling telecommunications and sell a T1 to somebody and translate it for my supervisor. And I knew I had something that was different. And it was wonderful for me because I enjoyed it and that I was embraced. I might have had a grammar mistake in my subjunctive tense, but people would invite me in, correct me and feed me and then recommend me to 10 of their friends. So why do you think that every environment that I was in when I was able to make these calls in Spanish that I ran the board? I could do it in English, and I did. But I also did it in Spanish. I could double gun it. I did two boards, English and Spanish. My point being is that you can show this sort of the first impression respect, Dave, when not only are you bilingual, but so am I. And we're doing this without even knowing each other yet. And so it really assisted me in having these sort of engagements and finding a lot of these things in common and really reduced any sort of defense or anger or setting a tone of aggression. That, that was eliminated immediately when I knew exactly what to say. And, and these are gonna be some of the additional selling techniques we'll talk about later and stuff. But my friend, I just wanted to discuss with you the ethics of how I am and how I was raised. I'm, 
When someone calls me a salesman and I take that as a compliment, I might look and sound like one. But Dave, I'm an educator. I don't ever force a hand. From an educated point of view, my clients, my agents, my friends, and anyone I relate to then makes a decision. And I feel that if given the chance to explain how I feel and to answer their questions, everybody can leave with something on the table. I, I think it's a wonderful way to start relationships.